podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The tenth time they've made it! They've won a playoff campaign! And they've done it at Wembley! And for the first time in 74 years, Brentford will play in the top flight of English football! Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Eden Road Podcast, where on tonight's show we're going to be previewing Tottenham away on Wednesday night. Pleased to say, to walk us through that preview is Flav Bateman of the Fighting Cock podcast. Flav, thanks so much for taking time to join me, mate. I'm really looking forward to Wednesday night and yeah, this should be good. You are looking forward to it? Yeah, I am. <laughs> <laughs> have you have you been to our ground before? Yeah, I went last season, um, went the season before as well. I think we played you in a similar kind of night. I think it was a Tuesday or Wednesday. We lost yeah. 2-0, but last season we actually had some joy. So I'm looking yeah. forward to it. Hopefully things have changed since last season. Um, I don't know how sort of closely linked in you was to what was happening at Tottenham last year, but um, it's a different feeling around Tottenham Hotspur this season. And while we got, we're just coming off the back of a, a narrow loss to Manchester City, which can happen to anyone, um, we feel pretty good at home. And so um, it should it should be a, a stern test for Brentford and Frank even if you do have Ivan Tony returning. <laughs> we'll get on to that. But just before we get going, cool. guys, remember to keep dropping the comments down below. Subscribe to the YouTube and Spotify channels and also give us a follow on our socials. It's at the Elam Road on Twitter and at Elam Road Pod on Instagram. Flav, I do want to start with Man City, like you just mentioned, and maybe yeah. then talk about some of the players that are missing through AFCON and Asian Cup. So yeah. you've got Son, Sar and Brasuma all away on international duty. In terms of that midfield, how have Benton Kerr, Hoyberg, and Skip been kind of deputising in terms of those absentees? Um, I mean, you can see the, the difference in, in quality and also fundamentally the the purpose of, of the player, right? So Basuma and Saar, you would argue, are sort of perfectly, the perfect players for, for their relative positions. Whereas we're having to kind of crowbar Skip and Hoybier into eights and ten and sixes. And in Skip's uh, performance against Manchester, uh, Manchester United, the one before Man City, he was playing as a 10 at times. These aren't roles that are typical of them, but but you know they've done okay. They've done okay. They, they've done as well as you'd expect, given the fact that we've we've been winning games without some of our best players in midfield. Against Manchester City, we had Hoybier, Bentancur, and uh, and Kulusevski in midfield. So Kulusevski has come across from the right, and he's been playing as as a 10 and an eight in in the middle of the park in Madison's absence with Johnson on the right. So. Um, yeah, in those in those in those moments when you've you've needed Skip and Hoybier to step up, you've got to say that they've they've played to the best of their ability. But it's clear when they're on the pitch that they're a level below what you know Basuma, Saar, Madison, and Bentancur are. Um, you know, Bentancur since coming back from injury has been asked to do a lot. He's been playing all over the that 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 three man midfield, and he's probably still a, a couple of games away from being where. We saw him be at the at the, at the tail end of Conte's uh, tenureship at Spurs, and that was one of the most underrated midfielders in the Premier League, in my opinion. So there's lots for us, for Spurs to do, and lots of lots for for us to grow, lots of space for us to grow into, and and it's that midfield where you'll see the main bulk of that growing, I think, in 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 in, in the coming games. I do, I do want to touch on Benton Core a bit later on in the podcast, but now now you've mentioned it, how important is he to Spurs and how has his role changed under Ange? Because correct me if I'm wrong, but he hasn't actually played significant minutes mm. pre-United away a couple of weeks ago. 
He's played. Uh, he's come in off of a ACL injury. Um, uh, before then, uh, Postecoglou he didn't he didn't get any minutes under Postecoglou. He was still coming in using his recovery. So that was like a new player for Postecoglou coming back in. Um, he returned ahead of schedule about three weeks to a month ahead of schedule, uh, which was surprising. But apparently, if you believe, well, you should believe Postecoglou. Uh, we were struggling in that moment. And, and it was his return to Tottenham that saw the results pick up. Um, but in his first game back, sorry, that's since he come back from his second injury. His first game back, he he got an ankle injury from a Matty Cash challenge. And again, he returned from that very quickly as well, a couple of weeks when we thought he'd be out, or two, three weeks when we thought he'd be out for six weeks. So, um, yeah, he's uh, he's a magnificent footballer uh, and, and so much better than, than the one we thought we were going to get. There was a lot of... Um, there was a lot of criticism of Tottenham's acquisition of both Kulusevski and Bentancourt, and a lot of that came from the Italian press. Now, I don't know how much work you've done with the Italian football press, but outside of their... Well, inside Italy, they have needle with each other about their respective football clubs. And all of the journalists that I've spoken to seem to have an allegiance to a certain football club. But outside of that, their allegiance, their allegiance is to Italy and the national team and the and the reputation of Italian football, so the reaction to Spurs picking up these two players from you know, what were you know they were periphery players when we signed them was relatively like it was almost like oh you're we you know Juventus are pulling Tottenham's pants down, these guys are no good. Um, there was one journalist in particular that still has this this tweet up, but he he he, he talked about that is it the Benzema loses the ball in key positions three or four times a match. So we just didn't really know what we were getting, and what, as it transpired, we got two excellent players. But I, uh, in in the formative periods, formative periods of their time at Spurs, you you probably thought Kulusevski was the better of the two, but now I'm not quite sure. Um, what has he been doing differently that he hasn't that he did under Conte? Not a lot, really. I mean, the Stalin system is different, so he has much more time on the ball and he can think forward football much more regularly than he did under Conte, but. His influence on the team was the same. Like even when things were going bad for Conte, we knew that Ben Tengor was going to have a seven or eight out of ten every week. So um, the, the, he's his system. The system has changed around him, but he's just been been typical of um, of, of, of Rodri Bentancur. Really, he's he, he's performed at a level that he has since he arrived, and he's a, an absolute gem of a footballer. Beautiful to watch. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think there's a couple more players that I do want to mention, but just more broadly before we get into some specifics, I'd imagine you're very happy with Spurs' first half of the season. Mm. In terms of the expectations when Ange came in, do you feel he's matched or exceeded those expectations at, at this stage of the campaign? I think we're we're, we're ahead of where we thought we would be, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, the, what I assumed at the start when he arrived was, I didn't really care what happened this season. It cares the wrong word. I... What I wanted was a, a new brand of football, attacking brand of football, and to enjoy watching my team play again. That was like that was like the bare minimum. That's what I wanted. And if he achieved that and we finished eighth or ninth, as we did last year, then that's progress in my eyes. And you saw at the start of the season that you achieved so much more than that. Um, you were at the top after 10 games and then that Chelsea game, I don't know if you watched it, but there's complete capitulation from Romero getting sent off for a terrible challenge, uh, a doggy getting sent off, suspensions coming out of our out of everywhere and um you know you're losing van der ven and madison for three months each so it started to fall apart somewhat so you, you could make excuses for 
Postacoglu and you can make excuses for us not winning games that we should have won, like West Ham and Aston Villa at home, where we played better than those teams. But we just kind of we were kind of fumbling around because we weren't quite sure what squad, what, what first eleven we were gonna we were gonna see. But the, the performances remained, but the results disappeared somewhat. How I feel now is 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 how I felt since I, I listened to him in his first interview, and that's just full of optimism. Um, for the first time in many years, I can't wait to watch Spurs play. Like we've just lost to Manchester City, but we've got you guys on Wednesday, and I'm really looking forward to it. Um, so he's he talks and says the correct things, which is a you know it's complete opposite to what Conte did. Conte did, you know, having a man, having him as our our, um, our spokesman and our manager and our figurehead was agonising at times. You know, he would he would talk. We'd lose a game, and you'd think, "What's he going? What's going to come out of his mouth?" Not only did you feel terrible about just watching your team play, but you also were then in a situation where you're having your manager throw you under the bus as well. And you know, you, some people might say, "Oh, well, it was correct. It's correct that that he was he would criticise the the players like that game against Southampton, the free all game, which essentially saw him lose his job." His his his, his interview after that, he he said that the he essentially said the players are selfish and and they're playing for themselves and. That might be true, right? It might be true. But as a fan, that doesn't help you feel any better and certainly doesn't think make you think that you have a manager who's able to fix these things. So we're having to deal with not only losing games or drawing games where we should have won, but he's Conte saying, this is a massive problem that I don't know how to fix and I'm going to set fire to everything because I don't know how to fix it. That's how it, that's how it, that's how I took it. Um, to someone like Postacoglu saying, we're going to give every opportunity to play the best football to, to, for these players to play the best football of their career. And if it goes wrong, it's on me. It's something I've failed in doing. And when your manager speaks like that, if it does go wrong, you accept it. You accept you're a part of a process and there's this there's this method and plan in place. And if that plan is something that we all buy into, that means win, lose, or draw, you're you're in you're in on it. And mm-hmm. you know, it's the same way that you know the most sensible Arsenal fans out there are probably enjoying what's happening with with Arteta and their football club at the moment because they have a plan, they've backed him financially and they've given him the patience that any manager needs in order to achieve. If we have a plan and and fans are bought into it to, you know, not everybody is as pragmatic in their thinking, I guess, but if you bought into something and you agree that we're moving in the right direction, then obviously losing games is a part of football but you understand what's happening at the football club. And I think that's where we are at the moment. And I, it's, it's, it's funny that you mentioned sort of the fact that the focus is now on the football as opposed to when Conte leaves. It kind of happens at every club that he's at. He burns the bridges, castigates the players or whatever. But now Andrew's, Andrew's back and I know that football is so important to Tottenham fans. Not that you don't care about trophies, but I think primarily you play nice football and that's that's what gets the fans on side. Talk to yeah. me a bit about Ange the man. I, I, I absolutely love him. Um, people who don't or people who claim that they don't, I just think they must think that they're edgy because he's just, <laughs> a, he's a breath, he's just a breath of fresh air. How much I, do you love him? <laughs> I don't know if you've seen Jonathan Liu of the, I think he's in Rights for the Guardian. He hates yeah, it. Yeah. He, he's, he's got <laughs> I don't know what it's about. He just absolutely hates his guts. Um I can only echo sort of what I've said is in that that you you feel like he's pulling in he's at he's driving the ship right and we're all just being pulled along in its current and he's he's he says the right things he behaves in the right way he 
doesn't get involved in hyperbole. He and his brand of football is some of the most exciting I've seen since early Pochettino um, times. And even when you're failing, you're doing so with an element of you know courage and and and, and a willingness to to attack. And you saw, you know, I, I take you back to that Chelsea game again, where you know, to some in some instances he was criticised for what he did when we, we we had nine men, which was play a high line, and when we didn't have the ball, essentially have a line across the the, the halfway, and not a, literally a, 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 a single formation line at times when we didn't have the ball. So to play this offside trap, which would force Chelsea to play for us, and hopefully we'd catch him offside, and Bakari would would click, click keep um would, would click would, would clean up or make a challenge. And some people say, no, it's naive. You can't play that way. You're in nine men against Chelsea. And, and as it transpired, we lost 4-1. But it's it was the most satisfying loss that I've ever experienced in my life. If you remove the rivalry with Chelsea and just merely look at what you saw on that night, and that was players that have bought completely into Postacoglu's system that believe in him and a manager that is unrelenting in his his... his his quest to win football matches in the right way, the right way is inverted commas, winning matches is winning matches, but he has a way that he needs to win. And and as a Spurs fan, you have to respect it. But the players had bought into it. And, you know, we lost 4-1, but I would have been more worried if he had completely abandoned his philosophies in that moment and just gone, right, low block, let's try and see this out. And we had 30 minutes for 25 minutes. They would have got us eventually. So, so is it better to lose you know, die on your feet rather than on your knees kind of thing. And and that's what we saw there. And then, and that ultimately will, if we have a chance of winning with Postacoglu, we can't play any other way. It has to be that way. And if we lose doing it, then so be it. Because I cannot see another, uh, I cannot sit through a single minute of pragmatic football that we saw under Conte. No longer. because we, we, And it wasn't just that. He was on the back of Mourinho as well. And their methods worked, and it will. No doubt, they'll have successes in their future. Maybe not what they've achieved previously, but Conte and Mourinho probably will have successes in the future in some degree. But it was never going to work at Spurs, and that brand of football you said mentioned. That's that needs to be the starting point. We've never had, we haven't had any real success in the Premier League era. But your the the, the amount of room that you have to breathe is smaller and bigger depending on the brand of football you're. You're playing. So Postacoglu will get infinitely more space to operate in than Conte would, and that was that comes from Daniel Levy and 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 the, and the scenario that he created at, at the club in doing what he thought was best in bringing win now managers in in, in Postacoglu, sorry, uh, Conte and, and and Mourinho. You can understand the methodology and the idea about that. You, it's, it's all there isn't a Spurs fan out there, I don't think, that wasn't pleased when Conte and Mourinho were made manager. But because of the brand of football they played, it meant that you're abandoning what Tottenham is as a as a uh, what the fan base have grew, grown up watching, which is attacking football and exciting football. So if you abandon it, you have to win. And when we didn't win, and not only that, did we start losing badly? It was it was only a matter of time. Whereas Postacoglu, I think this is a this is a project that's that, that we've got to buy into for the next three years, four years, if we're lucky enough to have him that long. In terms of that project, I was reading an article um, from Jack Pitbrook. Chap Pitt Brook the other day on the Athletic, basically yep. saying about how now Jurgen Klopp's 
gone. Well, he's, go- he's going to be leaving Liverpool at the end of the season. It could be a chance for Spurs under this new in this new Postecoglou era to build a squad that could potentially challenge for the league in a year or two and uh, have a real go at winning silverware. Are you? I, I mean, I-, I was going to ask you: Are you confident that Andrew's the right man to do that? But I know that's the answer now. Yeah. What would be in t- instead of that question? What would what would you say would be a successful sort of two year spell at Tottenham in the next couple of years? I mean, no one has a no one has a right to win the league, right? But if you want to, ha- you want to be set up in in a, in a in a position where you can challenge, and I don't think Spurs are that far off from that. I I still think that we can challenge this year. The likelihood that of us winning the league is very small, but being a part of that conversation, and and the the narrative that leads in towards the tail end of the season, Tottenham, if things go correctly, you know, could could be in that conversation. Statistically, we have like a two percent chance of winning the league. So, if you believe those those tables that predict results, two percent isn't very much. But um, it, it, it doesn't mean that you're not going to be there and thereabouts. So, yes, he's the right man to do it. Um, I think we're in a good position. We're in an excellent position financially, and and a lot. I don't know how much time we've got, but there's a lot. A lot of that has come from Daniel Levy's running of the football cl- football club. There are a lot of clubs scrambling around now trying to sell players because they realise that the financial well, the profit and sustainability laws and rules in the in the Premier League actually mean something because Everton and, and now Forest are going to be punished quite harshly because of their failings. So that means clubs are, are, are realising that they cannot break these rules because they're writing off a season pretty much of whatever their aspirations are. If they break these rules, they're writing off those aspirations for that season. They might still achieve with the relative points to total but Aston Villa for example who need potentially need to sell players before June Newcastle in a situation where they have to sell before they buy Arsenal can't but spend or haven't been able to spend in January because they've reportedly only have 11 million euros to spend before they breach rules so it does now mean something now what Daniel Levy's done is created a football club that generates insane amounts of money which should give us a, a an opportunity to spend and, and reinforce in the squad, which will give Postecoglou the players he needs to launch a title challenge. And unfortunately, that is what will dictate football and has it dictated football for many, many years in that how much money do you have to spend directly equates to how well you do in the league you know, in terms of wages as well. So Spurs are in a position to now do that, to spend accordingly. Um so let's hope they do it. And I hope, I'm, I'm de- I mean, there, there is no doubt that Postacoglu is the man for sure. Mm-hmm. I, I saw that Spurs were quite high up on the Deloitte top earning football teams of, of 2023. So that's mm. testament to that, I guess. Uh, yeah. I do I do want to talk about Brennan Johnson um, just to move on to some specifics before uh, some specifics for the actual game on Wednesday. Yeah. Uh, I saw a few Spurs fans on Twitter getting on his back over the last few games. Bit of a Brentford link there too, because of our ultimately unsuccessful admiration of him in the last transfer window. Yeah. Um, I, I think he's a really good player with really good attributes. Um, I don't think Brentford would have been interested in him if he wasn't, but it would be fair to, would it be fair to say it hasn't been a complete success for him so far at Spurs? Yeah, that's fair to say. Um, there's a reason why Brentford and Spurs are getting linked with similar players. Cause I think our methods in recruitment are, are, are well, we, we have certainly learned from Brentford and, and Brighton in that how they find players and, and profile them and decide whether or not they, they're going to come to, or we, we're going to approach to buy them. The same thing as Noosa as well. I want to get your thoughts on, on him, actually, if, if mm-hmm. you don't mind, because it looks like he's chosen Brentford over Spurs. Which, which is <laughs> you never thought I'd see the day. <laughs> well, well, let's talk, we'll talk about it. But, but, but to answer your question, Brentford, uh, Brendan Johnson 
uh, has hasn't had a great start. Um, he there's been four or five performances where he's been excellent um, and 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 really had a good game, but it does feel like he's there's development to do, and that what we we paid a lot of money for him for for a player that isn't quite ready for the level that that um, Spurs aim to be this season. That's not to say you shouldn't make up a, a major part of our first team and shouldn't be, a, you know, not a major part of the squad for 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 going forward. But I think he's been play, he's played a lot more football than and in, in huge games than we thought he would have to. And that's down to you know the, the number of um, injuries we've had and the fact that he's had to play four or five games on the left, which he's never done before in his career at you know first first class level. So um, it's it's harsh. It's the nature of playing at a club like Spurs is that you just don't get the time. And if you're not good immediately, then then fans will begin to write you off, certainly in the advent of social media. Um, you know, a couple of bad games and you'll have 100 Spurs fans or, or whatever relative football club you're talking to um, slagging them off. Um, the reality is, is that players like Hummin Son started their football at Spurs, not pulling up trees, you know, and um, look what, what he went on to do. We paid £47 million for him. He's got a five-year contract. Regardless of what Peter, Paul and Barry think on Twitter, he's he's a part of our first-team squad and he has to be because you can't just drop £47 million on him. And possibly, mm-hmm. I'm sure, sees the player in him and consist- cons- continues to play him. So what we th- I mean, we're all allowed an opinion, but the opinion that we have on Brennan Johnson is going to impact how whether or not he's a success at Tottenham. And as long as Postacoglu sees the value in him and has time to work with him, hopefully he will uh, eventually become an excellent player for Spurs. In terms of his attributes, though, he's uh, you know his, his ability to his pace is is important. Um, he, when he's had opportunities to deliver into the box, there have been moments of complete class, and he's got four assists to his name in twelve appearances. So it's not it's not terrible but um yeah his performances overall like you saw against manchester city he was just a level below the he needs to work on it yeah let's uh let's touch on antonio nusa then because um just before we started recording actually i saw a page a brentford page on twitter uh who's someone who spotted him at the airport and he spoke to him and said that he is signing for brentford but he's going to go back on loan to bruges for the rest of the season mm. um I, I saw that you guys released a podcast on him like a player profile kind of thing, I assume. I haven't had time to listen to it yet, but um, mm. just give me give me your thoughts on that. It's, just, it's, it's a weird old world where it looks like um, Forrest, well, you, you bought Brennan Johnson from Forrest for about 50 million and mm. we may be getting someone with a higher ceiling for, for a lot less. Yeah. Okay, so so we the, the podcast you're talking about is called The Lab and that mm-hmm. is a, like a subsidiary podcast of The Fighting Cock. Um, and we spoke to a... Uh, the gentleman called Kish, he runs that at Lily White Lab uh, Twitter account, and he was. We were talking about Noosa and the prospects of buying him, and he's very, he was very excited at the prospect. Um, he's an a a player with a very high ceiling. You would argue on paper and on hype that it was probably, you know, higher than Brennan Johnson's, or he's a, a good three or four years ahead of him in terms of ages. Mm-hmm. So. Um, and I think we were excited about the prospect of having this kid, you know, people comparing him to sort of a young Neymar. He's a part of a Danish contingent of young players, not Danish, my bad, a Norwegian um, contingent of young players that that are, uh, are proven to be excellent, um, that are doing amazing stuff in youth development in Norway. 
and so um, he seems to be another on a, on a train. We we of, of of excellent talent. We we were talking about it on the Fighting Cock uh, main pod today. It's just just gone out, and there was two schools of four. I said. I actually admire it of him that he's saying I need I, whatever club I want to join. I need to play. I want to mm-hmm. want to play. Brentford have offered him first team football, and that's where he's going. Because you, from a player with all due respect to to Brentford, if you're a young player coming up through in Norway and there's an opportunity to play for a big six club in inverted commas, then mostly you would expect them to join the big six club because there's money there and there's. But he's actually he's actually gone. No, it's opportunity I want, not money. And he has so much faith in his ability to perform that that he's joined the club with less a lesser reputation historically, uh, but more opportunity. So for me, I think that's more as that's a greater testament to his character and where he uh, what he aims to do in the, in the game. There was someone, another uh, bloke on the pod, Ricky. He said actually. Less, he thinks less of him because I think because he wanted things for his first. He thinks less of him because he look at the examples of a doggy of of Saar, where they've um, they've been bought, sent back on loan, and forced their way into the first team. The reality, though, when you look at it, is that he's looking at Spurs. There's Hummins on there, and that we apparently, and this is how things might tie in with Brentford again, looking for a number nine in the summer. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're Nusa. You're not. You're going. Well, I'm not never going to displace Son, or it's going to take a lot. Like Son is our cap club captain. He's going to have to play under him. So he's probably looking at it, going, "There's no real road to the first team without me having to really pull up trees. And how can I do that without opportunities?" So I think for him, he's probably done the right thing. I think he's he's probably made the right decision. As frustrating it is for us because we want to see him. He's saying, well, "I'm better than cameo visit perform uh, cameo appearances in." In um, league cups and 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 Europa League or God willing Champions League next season, um, and fair fair play to him, fair play to him, uh, and yeah, I, I'm I'm sure he'll have a, a great career with that attitude, but it appears not with Tottenham. Yeah, well, I, I wouldn't write it off just yet. I mean, Brentford's mantra is buy, even though this one isn't quite cheap per se, but buy yeah. low and and sell high, and with a ceiling. I mean, I, I say with a ceiling, I can't say that I've watched loads of him, but I've, I've watched, you know, I've, I've gone through the compilations as you do when you sign a new player and he looks, he looks the master. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's going to be, he looks great. He looks great, yeah. but it's hard, it's hard for, for, for a player who's not, who has, has been used sparingly by Club Rouge in, in the Belgian football, football league. For him to demand first team football at Tottenham is, it was never going to happen. Mm-hmm. But that ambition is, is crucial. So, He's gonna. He's gonna. If you can get, I mean, if he, how? What are you expecting of him? He's got. To, if he's, if he promised first team football, he's have to be starting seventy percent of the games. My I worry mean, would be if he, he starts and goes. All right, he's not Premier League level yet. Yeah, yeah. I, it really depends on on what happens with the Ivan Tony situation. We we have another player called Kevin Sharder who was injured in the early uh, sort of late stages of last year. Um, He's got a very similar profile to Ollie Watkins. And what we actually did with Ollie Watkins when we signed him from Exeter was we had him on the left wing and we converted him to a striker. So I'm assuming, well, I mean, there's been chatter online about how maybe once Tony's gone, we'll try and convert Sharda into a traditional number nine as we did with Ollie Watkins and then have Noosa on the left. Does, does, is there only one the obvious that plays in that left hand? Is it Sharda who would have played there? Yeah, Sharda, Sharda normally plays down the left, yeah. Um, 
But what I mean, the thing is, we've had so many injuries, and Bumo's out injured. Yeah, you've Tony's had only just as many as ours, I think. Yeah, we've we've had a pretty shit time with injuries. So it's, but with with these players coming back and Tony looking like he's going to go, uh, probably not in this window, but you never say never. Uh, in the next window, it would be interesting to see how we shape up. But if we do manage to sell Tony, I'd imagine we would still try and get some form of traditional number nine, dependent what, on how confident what, they are. In what's your China. opinion on him? On from <laughs> outside perspective, we just think the whole thing's a bit weird. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I speak for all Brentford fans when I say that we like Tony the player, but not Tony the man. Yeah, um, it's difficult to hate someone who's so good at football and scores a lot of goals for your team. Um, yeah. but. I mean, in the interviews, the last thing you want him to say is that he's looking for a move to a top club or that he he wants... I mean, every footballer has aspirations and that's fair enough. But I, just want, I, wanted him, I wanted him to come out and say, I'm focused on playing my football for Brentford. But he kind of left up the for Brentford part and just said, I'm focused on playing my football. Uh, some yeah. of the stuff that he said about the club in the past, you can't really excuse. Um, I don't, uh, yeah, he's not someone that I'd want Spurs to sign for those reasons that you've just said. Um I, well, I, I think you could do with him. <laughs> He'd definitely make you a better team. <laughs> I don't know. Without a shadow of a doubt, I think he's incredible uh, forward. I think he, with bad goals for Tottenham, wherever he goes, he's, he's going to score and he's done brilliantly for Brentford. But I just cannot abide someone who would literally, for the sake of a someone's Snapchat, talk about the club in the way that he did <laughs> for Brentford. Yeah, it's shocking. Yeah. But and and he's the way it was handled with him coming back, let's say Brentford, like, do what you got to do. But just like you said, like his interview and and the, the sorry, excuse me, <laughs> uh, the, swear the, away, mate. <laughs> the Daily Mail or whatever it was, the interview yeah. in Poplus, and you're like, mate, you, you do you know you did break the rules here? You're no one like you. It's your fault you had an eight month ban. You're yeah. betting on games that you, like there's a there's important reason why betting it shouldn't be allowed in professional football because it could undermine the fabric of the competition so yeah. no one feels sorry for you so why are you behaving in the way that you've been locked up is it's yeah, man, not, not listening to uh i was listening to filthy fellas and they were kind of saying but <laughs> no one's ever doubted you everyone's always thought you were a good player <laughs> yeah <laughs> like well, no one's doubted you it's like you make exactly. these mad decisions to... <laughs> yeah oh. uh let's um I, I do want to talk about james madison obviously it's good news for tottenham that he's back not so good not such great news for brentford considering mm. he always has a blinder against us he either Does scores he? or assists in every game that he's played against us be that at tottenham or at norwich where he was or at leicester where he was um in previous years how mm. big of a boost is it to have him back in the side and do you expect him to start on wednesday i do expect him to start on wednesday um he looks a little bit sort of couldn't quite catch up with the game when he came on but that's understandable he's been out for such a long time uh, yeah I, I expect him to start against brentford um and it's a massive boost to have him back you saw how good he was in 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 the in the premier league in those first 10 games before he got injured he was sensational and there was this um stat going around in terms of goals and assist contributions from midfielders he was still like sixth in the Premier League and he hasn't played for three months so everyone knows how good James Madison was and you know everyone was no doubt surprised when we managed to get him for 40 million to me it was like a steal but uh it just shows the level of injury that he well, the, the, the number of injuries that we've had but also how unlucky with the type of injuries some of these players have had because Madison has the there is a somewhat sort of sick note label that's applied to him that he's injury prone but this injury is the longest he's been out ever it's in his club career and, and he's played 10 games for Tottenham so I feel that some some degree we can feel 
a little bit sorry for ourselves in that instance. He's class. He's he's un undoubtedly brilliant, and um, his his ability to unpick stubborn defenses is something that we've missed massively. And um, yeah, can't wait to see him playing again, and especially when Son comes back if he ever gets back from the Asian Games. Asian Games, I can't remember what it's Asian called. Cup. <laughs> Asian Cup. Sorry, Asian Games sounds like some sort of I don't know, like a track meet or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The uh, yeah. So when all of that's over and we can just look at other players and what we've got for the rest of the season, I'm just looking forward to that because Son and and Madison and Romero as well were a part of our essentially we have a group of captains. They're like leaders, whereas Madison and, and Romero are vice captains and Son is obviously the club captain. But we've missed them not being together. Mm -hmm. And um, the players have done brilliantly, and Postecoglou has done brilliantly in trying to navigate these issues. But yeah, it'll be um, it'll be great to see them back again in his class. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised how long it took a top six club in inverted commas, um, how long it took yeah. them to pick up James Madison because I think he's been class for years now. Just yeah. just without without wanting to make this an England podcast, but we do talk about England sometimes on this pod. Uh, it does a, in a in a fully fit England eleven. Does James Madison start for you now? You've seen him at Tottenham. No, he doesn't, and and, and no. that's, that's down to Bellingham existing. Yeah. But but yeah. he's good enough. He should be playing. He should get way more minutes for England than he has done, and many more caps. But even as a Spurs fan who absolutely adores James Madison, you know Bellingham's our Bellingham's guy, now, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's Bellingham. the guy. He's the guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, let's. I want to talk about Timo Werner yet to get off the mark for Spurs. Being someone that's watched your stuff for quite a while, I know that you were a bit vocal about him during his stint at Chelsea, probably just by virtue of the fact that it was I don't Chelsea. Think, I don't think I've said <laughs> anything negative about him, actually. <laughs> I don't, I, you prove it. I don't know. I don't think I did. <laughs> I'd imagine that sentiment is gone now as your player, which is completely understandable, by the way. You want yeah. players coming into your club to do well for your team, even if they haven't quite made the impact to their previous club. How has he performed so far for, for Tottenham? Um, so uh, he played against Manchester United and uh, he looked like he'd been there two days, um, which was he was fine. There's a couple of opportunities uh, against Man City, much, much better. Um, it, I still feel like he's suffering somewhat from perhaps not having the chemistry with the other, other players because there were about six or seven opportunities. Maybe that's too much. Four or five opportunities where he had created space for his mo movement and, and just wasn't found. Um, and if Madison was on the pitch, perhaps, or if his relationship with Doggy was better, that he would have been found and, and created opportunities. But you know, like when, like any tactic that that, that uh, a manager employs, always has as um, failings, right? So, post um, Guardiola's tactic against Tottenham was perfect. It's almost. Mm -hmm. There was almost nothing wrong with it. It was really difficult. They were they were super. They were well drilled. They were excellent. They were concise in their passing. They were just fantastic, right? Well, the best team to play at Spurs this year, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, but the one failing they did have, and maybe they they were aware of this, was that, that they couldn't quite deal with or were committed in a way that meant that Werner had space. And there were there were like I say, several opportunities where he should have been found and wasn't. And should he been given this opportunity and the, and, the, and the service that his movement deserved, then we might have been talking about a different game. But yeah, he's um, yeah, he's, I mean, he's got a lot to do to fill Huminson's shoes. But that's what he's been brought in to do. And um, you know, he's got an assist to his name. So yeah, all good. I, I, yeah, there's nothing. I mean, he'll play against when uh, against Brentford for sure. Yeah, I'm I'm having nightmares about that. He's probably going to be up against uh, Mads Rosalev, I'd imagine, which uh, might be a little bit of a mismatch. But la last couple of questions, Mick, because I know we've been going on for a while now. Right. Um, 
Pedro Porro, I know Destiny Doggy's kind of been stealing the headlines, being in people's teams of the season, and rightfully so. I think he's got a very high ceiling as well. Yeah. But Pedro Porro, for me, when I was watching Tottenham last year and you guys signed him, I know that his first couple of performances were a little bit shaky, but this season, every time I've watched Tottenham, he's been bang on it. And fucking hell, when he hits a ball, it really <laughs> stays here. <laughs> yeah, look, he scored He scored three blinding goals last season, when, like I said, when everything yeah. was going a bit tits up. Um He's there's a couple of things about him. Uh, if you ask some some Spurs fans, myself included, I would say he's probably been our best player this year. Hmm. Uh, and you know that's he's been benefited from major absences from Van der Ven and, and and Madison, but he's been sensational, really has. And uh, he's a lot of it's about his attitude and 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 how he's. I just keep saying this, we're pulling in the same direction. Everyone seems to have bought into it. He's enjoying his football. He was doubted when he started, certainly in the press, you know, high-profile people like Tim Sherwood. Well, I wouldn't say learned, but high-profile people like Tim Sherwood, uh, you know, criticising his ability as a defender and he's uh, potentially a liability. And and we, as Spurs fans, a lot of us did say that is this, he's, he's clearly a good player, but is he going to fit in this back four? because he was bought as a wing-back under the Conte system where the defensive part of your duties were less... There was less risk with them. So you could understand why Porro and Odogi were bought in because you had a back three that would potentially clean up any issues that they that, that would be left by them going forward and providing a whip for the team. And obviously we knew that Postacoglu liked to do interesting things with his full-backs. I didn't realise that it'd be as interesting as we'd seen. But... Um, They've gone from from being question marks over there, whether or not how much they were going to play, play this season, to, oh my God, we can't do without them. And mm. a doggy has rightly got a lot of plaudits, but Pedro Porro, I'd say, is probably having a better season out of the two. But they've both been playing some blinding football. Yeah. <clears throat> I'd expect both of them to, to have a big role on Wednesday. Final couple of questions, mate. Just something just I asked all of my guests. What have you made of Brentford so far this season and Premier League in general? I think I think in the Premier League in general, it's been fantastic, and Frank's clearly a, an excellent manager, and um, you know, not a dissimilar trajectory to Premier League management than Postecoglou in that it wasn't conventional; it was really based on his abilities as a manager that's given him the opportunity, and um, and he's and he's and he's done brilliantly with with Brentford, working in a system where players are going to be sold and your your key players are going to be sold. And it never really looks like it seems to affect Brentford and, and his and his team and his playing style. And he's gone from he, as as much as I understand it, you'll know better than me. But it seems that he is always understanding of the situation and will play the brand of football that's a, that's that's required in order to amass the most amount of points. And when you're you're playing a system where statistics and and, and you're operating a club where statistics and possibility and chance are, are massive. That to have a manager like him that's able to adapt accordingly is 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 is, is massive as well, and, and and what's required. And this season, you you find yourself having a tricky season, but massive massive part of that is not having the players at your disposal in, in order to perform on a par. Which at the start of the season, you'd say Brentford would be finishing top ten or thereabouts. So. I mean, as long as you can continue for an escape relegation this season with your players coming back and if you keep hold of Tony, you will do that without a shadow of a doubt. But there's always a question mark if you don't get those players. Um, 
there's the, the the future is bright for for Brentford, and it's a mental story. It's a mental mental thing. For me, has been watching football since the eighties. The fact that Brentford are consistently not only just playing in the Premier League, but by the by rights should be there consistently. It coming from a ground as small as Griffin Park, of which I went there for when I was fourteen. I went there uh, in a preseason friendly, and uh, I was sick from alcohol for the first time in my, <laughs> in my life after after going there. Um. Yeah, to go from from that ground, which isn't suitable for the Premier League, to to one that you've got now, and you're moving forward with with a yeah, Maui, you can't. I mean, as a football fan, you can't. But you know, in terms of a fan as the sport, you can't. But applaud everything that's been happening there. Um, but there, there, I've got a couple, a couple of mates at Brentford, and they, their attitude has changed. They've they've they've, they've gone from being like humble. <laughs> Every time they get a result or anything, turn into arseholes, right? <laughs> and there's a geezer that you might listen to the podcast. His name's Adam, and he's turned into an arsehole since Brentford have become good. Um, so yeah, but um, I've got mates actually, like another mate who's a Chelsea fan, and he's given up Chelsea because he just hates it. What what the club's become mm. because he lives in Ealing. I think he's um, he just goes down Brentford now, and like, he's like, I prefer this. Yeah, I think there's a there's quite a lot of Chelsea exiles that that have season tickets at Brentford, which I don't really mind. Season tickets are cheaper, and it's it's going to be impossible to to get a season ticket at Chelsea nowadays. It, it remains um, a community football club, I think. And that's, yeah, that's yeah, that is the key. Belonging to something is more important than trophies. So you, you that it's hard to believe that because there are lots of people, certainly on social media, that you know they've they've chosen to support clubs that they have no real connection to, they have no relation to the family. And they've no, they've no sort of other reason that, that they've they've taken an interest in the glory of that previous glory of that football club, mm-hmm. and that's fine. Anyone can choose whatever football club they want. You know, I'm not. You know, you do whatever you want to do, but you abandon. You you, you you unfortunately don't. You miss out on the community of supporting a football club because of those reasons. Um. Yeah. So Brentford definitely offered offer that and then that and that's that's an, you know something that's worth something mm-hmm. yeah i definitely definitely agree i feel like there's a core of maybe six thousand seven thousand fans give or take that that were going back in the league two days week in week out doing the away days and stuff and yeah. uh, we're all we're all so delighted to be in the prem it's still kind of fever dream territory but um I hope, it's, I hope, it's benham isn't it benham yeah benham benham's the as only long as he's there you can't see a world where this falls apart because it's even if there is there is you have a poor season or a very poor season and you get relegated it's only a matter of time before your the system kicks back into gear and actually mm. operating at this level at the premier league getting it right at this level is much more harder than being consistently good in the championship and finding those players that have been cast aside by others and just looking at their metrics and realizing that there's a player in there but this for whatever reason it hasn't worked previously to where you're at now where you have to, the speculation becomes more significant, like Nuso's 30 million pounds or 30 million euros is, is a significant speculation, but one you mm-hmm. hope pays off. The risk is greater, but whatever it is, that system works and no one's really operating like Brentford do, or certainly they weren't previously. There's been a lot of envious eyes from clubs like Tottenham looking at Brentford and going, well, why can't we do what they're doing? Yeah, 100%. Final, final one from me, Flav. Um, are you confident heading into Wednesday? What kind of game should we expect? 
Uh, well, I, I am confident and I'm always confident with Spurs now. I feel like every game we go into, I was confident going into Man City. I was convinced we were going to win. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> I, uh, look, we've the, we've lost two games in the league this season at home. Um, we lost to Brentford. No, that's not, that's a lie, actually. We lost to Chelsea as well. But in my in my mind, it, that didn't count. So, really, we've lost two. And uh, <laughs> Villa and, and West Ham were the games. And we... It should have buried both of those teams. The fact we lost those is an absolute scandal. Um, so I would say that it would be, it's my anticipation is that it would be difficult for Brentford. Um, there will be opportunities for sure because we, the way we play. Mm-hmm. What, how do you, how will Brentford set up, do you think? Uh, I, well, we had this conversation, a brief conversation on the last podcast we did. Uh, like you mentioned, Thomas Frank was quite adept at kind of sussing out the way that we need to play to get a win. Mm. I would I would have said we've got nothing to lose when we go away to a team like Spurs. And like you just said, I think we will get chances in the game. So I would prefer to go in a back four and just think, fuck it, we either get battered 4-0 or give it a right go, as opposed to setting up in a five, which I think he will do, play a low block and try and hit Tottenham on the counter. Um, that's, that's probably the best way to play, I would say. Mm-hmm. That if, if you want to get something out of the game without risk of being blown away like you said then a, a low block in a five at the back has proved effective in certain circumstances against against Pastor Cogley's Tottenham but with if James Madison starts it's a different conversation because we yeah. have the tool to get around it whereas previously we haven't I don't think I don't think Madison plays I don't think he plays more than 60 minutes anyway so mm-hmm. if you my worry would be that you really compact really sensible pragmatic but with purpose on the break utilizing Ivan Tony it could be a problem I hope not I mean the, the reverse fixture of the first day of the season was a really good game and a game that I thought could have gone either yeah. way so and yeah. I know that was Postacoglu's first game in charge and a lot's yeah. changed since then but I'm hoping for fundamentally a good game of football and I think it would be just that Flav We've gone on for a while now, but that, that was really fun. The Inro okay. podcast will be back in the week to go over the Spurs result and then to preview City at home next Monday. Before we go, I do want to hear from the listeners in the comments. Last week's response was really nice to see. Lots of interaction and engagement, so please do drop your thoughts ahead of the Spurs game down below. And whilst you're at it, remember to like and subscribe to the YouTube channels and the Spotify one too, and also give us a follow on our socials. That's at Eden Road on Twitter and at Eden Road Pod on Instagram. Flav, mate, that was fantastic. And good luck for Wednesday. Nice one, mate. Thank you. Podcast Network.